CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, June 30th is moments away. But before we do this, let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this program. We do have a song of the day request already Ooh. in. <laughs> this one came in over the weekend from our friend Chris, who sent us an email. Thank you for the email, Chris. All right, let's thank these unions. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 are sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thanks, unions. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends, What's up, Pat Rod? At the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ben Jarofsky, your song of the day comes from Chris, mm-hmm. who sent us a very nice email. Okay. Uh, I guess he's been dying to hear you sing this one. <laughs> Folsom Prison Blues. Oh, Johnny Cash. Yeah. Uh, ding, 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 I'm just going to play guitar. Just ding, that ding, works. Ding, 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 here in his prison. Wow, the train going by. That's good enough, man. Were you describing the attic? Train going by? It's a great song, Johnny Cat. I love Johnny Cat. I'm stuck here in his prison. I'm stuck here in this attic. Watch the train go by. It is there are some similarities, although I would I would not say this is as bad as being stuck in Fulson prison. There's a porta potty down there below. Wait, that's the one that goes, I stabbed a man just to watch him. I think that's the one. I'm getting all my prison songs mixed up. Yeah, that'll happen from time to time. The Ben Drowski show starts now. It is Tuesday, June 30th, and still live from Ben's Attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's the return of our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masova. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Ted Cruz's Big Scoop Tuesday. And here's why. Good weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yes. I did. I did have a good weekend. That's That's correct. That's just (laughs) really positive. Studio audience, round of applause. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Did you go for a bike ride? Yeah. Went on a few bike rides. By the way, folks, you can't see him because we have the camera, but he's... Dennis, since he's been biking and everything, he's great shape. He's got this tan, this tone. This, <laughs> I'm like, the, the pandemic's doing you good, boy. Find me on Tinder. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and anyway, Bumble. You are looking great. Uh, and he's doing a lot of biking. Like I said the other day, oh, I got this text. Yeah, I'm in Wisconsin. Oh, my God. I biked all the way to Wisconsin. Anyway, uh, I saw the Will Ferrell movie, the new Will Ferrell movie, or something, Eurovision. And I'm a little uh, embarrassed to admit I liked it as much as I did. It's not really a recommendation. You know, I, I understand Will Ferrell is. Well, it seems like a lot of Will Ferrell movies. I'm, I have no clue what this movie's about, what anything about it. But Will Ferrell always does movies where he's in some weird career. Is yes. That what this is? Yes, exactly. All right. Just, All right. What's the one, the racing movie? The racing movie. There's the ice skating movie. There's the basketball movie. Yeah, it's just insert Will Ferrell into uh, a song contest movie. He can't sing. He looks ridiculous. And, of course, he has the obligatory scene where he's walking around without his shirt on, bare-chested. Uh, but I don't know. Whatever. I'm a sucker for Will Ferrell. It's not a recommendation, okay? Somebody go watch it go, God damn, this is terrible. That picturesque has no taste. So that's an interesting point. I am not recommending this movie, okay? Anyway, that's what I did this week. It was one of the highlights of the week. It's not the only thing I did. But anyway, woke up. What did I see? Breaking news from the Tea Party. Oh, yeah, it's one of the more entertaining things. Every day I get their emails, Tea Party emails. And this one said, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz. We call, we call those T-mails. T-mails, I, you know, we, I, I was not aware that we call them that, but yeah. uh, that's very good. Yeah, T-mails. <laughs> I got a T-mail from the Tea Party. Uh, Ted Cruz slams Democrats. He reveals why they're really after D.C. statehood. Now, I don't know if you follow this story, folks. I was following it over uh, the weekend. It broke, I think, Friday, I want to say. There was a vote at the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives, democratically controlled, passed legislation to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. I don't know if you know this. I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners know this, that D.C. is currently not a state. I don't know. It's just a, a district. And as such, it has no senators and only one congressperson uh, who is a non-voting member of Congress. So the residents in Washington, D.C. pay taxes to the federal government. So this would be the dictionary definition of taxation without representation and a compelling reason if to make it a state, along with the other compelling reason, which is that when you live in this country, you should get a right to vote, uh, have your vote matter for Senate, Congress, President, Etc. and uh, so forth. The matter was advanced by uh, Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton, who represents D.C. in Congress. But again, because uh, she is a non-voting member, she couldn't even vote on her own proposal. That's not fair, is it? Uh, the legislation passed with overwhelming Democratic support and hardly any Republican support. And it will be likely die in the Senate if it hasn't died already. Where it will be killed by Mitch McConnell. Boo! Every time we say that name. Boo! Boo me. By the way, I just saw breaking news. Amy McGrath won. Uh, it was declared a winner. I just saw the headline, so it's just sweet. To, yeah. Well, I was actually kind of rooting for Booker, but whatever. Anyway, I if I lived in Kentucky, I'd vote for Amy McGrath in a heartbeat over uh, Mitch McConnell. Anyway, so um, the Republicans uh, have cited several reasons for being against the measure. None of them are very good. Uh, reason number one. Just love doing that. Uh, they claim the founding fathers wanted D.C. to be. Uh, if the founding fathers wanted D.C. DC to be a state, they'd have made it mistake. Yes, folks. Uh, Number one. <laughs> they're citing the founding fathers. You know, I just want to point this out, Republicans. Uh, the founding fathers also endorsed slavery. Many of them were slave owners. So I'm not sure we should be following their dictates and rules, especially when it comes uh, to black people. Uh, roughly 50% of Washington, D.C. Uh, is black. So, 
getting the sense of why the Republicans uh, are so much against it uh, uh, being a state. Some Republicans pointed out, well, Washington is too small. It only has 700,000 people, to which the Democrats responded. Well, Wyoming is a state, and it only has like 538,000. And as a state, it gets a voting member of Congress and two senators. So if it's good enough. Number two. Yes. That is like a Will Ferrell movie. With this in this movie, Will Ferrell would be a, a radio producer. And he would, damn, no, it would be more like Chris Farley. He'd be like screwing it up. He's supposed to get, oh, damn, we missed it again. <laughs> Love Chris Farley. Idiot. <laughs> By the way, I'm not recommending any Chris Farley movies. I'm merely reporting that I love Chris Farley movies, okay? Don't hold it against me. I got bad taste in some instances. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, the brilliant Republican argument that it's small, to which Democrats point out that Wyoming uh, it has is even smaller, and to which Tom Cotton, Tom Cotton is a senator from Arkansas who's got to be the biggest dummy in the Senate at the moment as such. Uh, he's probably going to be the leading Republican for the, the sort of the face of the Republican Party once Trump leaves the scene. Uh, in much the same way, Darren Bailey's become the face of the Republican Party. Here Sounds like state. a name of a guy who found a time machine and jumped all the way to 2020. Tom Cotton. Tom the Cotton. very old name. Wait. Uh, yes. Oh, I see. He's from 1830. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, he's in the... It's 2020. Whoa. What are these little strange phone devices? Actually, I find myself doing the same thing all the time. Uh, anyway, so a, his argument is, quote, Wyoming is a well-rounded working class state superior to Washington, which is an appendage of federal government full of lobbyists and civil servants. Now, you know, that's not fair, Tommy Cott. Come on, Tommy. Now, I mean, what well-rounded working class state? I mean, suddenly what, are the demographics, uh, what matter? What matters is like, do people live there? If people live there, they should get to vote. I mean, it's sort of like a principle, right? Like everybody gets to vote, every vote counts the same, no taxation without representation. Aren't these the bedrock principles of our country? More important than like whatever prejudices the founding fathers had, the founding fathers were racists. So why should we follow their dictates on whether black people get to vote or whether women get to vote for that matter? But they had certain principles that we, uh, we believe in and adhere to. And one is that every vote's the same. So if you live in Washington, you shouldn't be denied the same rights of being a citizen that people in Wyoming accept. Come on, Tommy Cotton, you know that. I think the real reason the Republicans don't want D.C. Uh, to be a state is because so many black people live there. There, I said it. And let's just compare. Washington, D.C. is roughly 47% black. It used to be 70% black back in the 70s and the 80s, but gentrification is occurring in D.C., so the black population has fallen below 50%. Wyoming, on the other hand, is 91% white, with a black population of 0.8%. This was the research I did, D, before I came on the show. Uh, so how could you say it's a well-rounded state when it's overwhelmingly filled with one type of people, Tommy Cotton? Anyway, and that brings me back to Ted Cruz's comment. The real reason Democrats want statehood for Washington. That's the drum roll, please. Ooh, Demo ah. 
Dep- That's good. Was that Wipeout? Yeah. Listen. Anyway, I uh, kind of fall apart halfway through Wipeout, but it's pretty good. The first part, what did you think? Pretty good for knowing Wipeout, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and then also I do the drum for uh, Hawaii Five Five O. Anyway, millennials, hang tight. A lot of references that you'll get coming up. Yeah. Anyway, the real reason he says is that Democrats want two more Democrats. Democratic senators, to which I... Oh, I was going to say, there's a great way to do a Ted Cruz impression. All you got to do is just hold your nose, and it kind of sounds like him. So if you read a quote from Ted Cruz while holding your nose... All right, here we go. Like this? Boom! The Democrats support statehood for Washington because it would mean two more Democratic senators. See? I I am Ted Cruz, and I'm an idiot. (laughs) Hey, it really works. Anyway, I read that. I shared it with our, my dear friend David Ferris, who was on the show Friday. Dave Ferris, expert on everything in politics. By the way, you can hear that show. We, uh, we dropped it on Saturday. It's doing very well. Very popular show. No, I'm sorry. We dropped it Monday. I sit corrected. Anyway, uh, I shared it with Dave Ferris. We had a blast with it. Uh, my response when I read it uh, with Ted Cruz's assertion was, duh, of course Democrats want those two more states, uh, two more senators. That's like saying the only reason the Republicans want Wyoming is because they get two to be a state is because they get those two senators. All right, I'll tell you what, we'll cut a deal, Teddy Cruz. I, I will drop my support for D.C. getting those two senators if you drop your support for every red state with less than 700,000 people getting uh senators i I think there are like four of them so that's eight senator eight republican senators right out there right now i think uh well principles being followed tom cotton would support that as well you know i'm just starting to think if ted cruz was around in the 1850s he would be vehemently against abolishing slavery and he'd argue first of all that the founding fathers wanted slavery which is true uh so he would use that as an argument for keeping slavery and then he would argue that the only reason the democrats want to abolish slavery is that all those slaves would vote for democrats as if that would be a reason to keep people in slavery by the way i must point out that if Ted Cruz were around in the 1850s, he would be a Democrat. Because back then, the Democrats were the racist party, were uh, filled with people who wanted to keep black people in bondage. So that would have been the party of the Ted Cruz's and the Tom Cotton's. Just saying. Anyway, pretty absurd argument by uh, Ted Cruz. You know, it's funny, it's a little different than the attitude uh, we have here uh, in Illinois. Uh, in Illinois, there's a movement uh, from Republicans downstate. I think Darren Bailey signed onto this one, D. To Your make- boy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, DB, my boy. Yes, D. Who's going to feed them hogs, Darren Bailey? <laughs> I don't think Darren Bailey's ever been near a hog. You know what I mean? He gets that money, that federal money. <laughs> He's like, it only, the only hog he's feeding is himself. <laughs> Got a million of them, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, I just want to say the Republicans, uh, Teddy Cruz and uh, Tom Cotton, their big idea is to make Washington part of Maryland. Just swallow up with Maryland. And that, of course, uh, that gives them voting rights, the people who live in D.C. currently, but per- keeps them from having two more senators. Oh, he thinks he's slick. <laughs> just put it in Maryland and the, that absorbs even more Democrats into already Democratic state and this is my point it's a little different attitude than they have in the state of Illinois 
in the state of Illinois, the, the leading lights of the Republican Party, led by one D.B., Darren Bailey, want to make Chicago a separate state. All right, so they want Chicago to be its own separate state, divorced from the rest of the state. In fact, there was that gentleman who wanted three states in Illinois. Well, I forget his name. He came on the show at one point, remember? Robert something. Yeah. Marshall. <laughs> All right, now listen here. <laughs> This is, this is Robert Marshall, guys, having a meeting on his plan for three states. All right, I'm glad you all can join us here. Now, listen, what we want to do is we want to take Illinois, put it in three. We got the top, the middle, the Hey, where's, where's everybody going? It's a good idea. But I recall he was, he was like very open to any, he had a map. I remember he came to the studio with a map. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, this is just a starting point. I could, you know, rearrange. I had to give him credit. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't fixed on any set boundaries, you know. Yeah, if you want to put that in, you want to make Evanston over here. and that. I mean, he was like ready to move things around. Marshall wouldn't care. Anyway, but DB and the rest of the Republicans in the state are not that accommodated. They want two, at least two states in Illinois. With Chicago as its separate state. So presumably, Chicago then would get uh, two senators, right, D? And then uh, my suggestion is that what you do is you take the same approach to downstate Illinois that Cruz and Cotton and all the rest of the Republicans have toward D.C. Merge it with Kentucky. There you go. That way, we don't have to worry about two extra Republican senators in the Senate. Hey, if it's good for uh, D.C., it's good for downstate Illinois. We got a great show today, everyone. Yes, indeed. Maya Dubasova will be here. Well, she won't be here. She'll be on the phone talking about her latest article. Uh, I know. Six <laughs> feet. <laughs> Stay away from me. <laughs> Uh, talking about her latest article in the Reader's fascinating story about uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, and police. And she also wants to weigh in on um, uh, whether we're reopening things too quickly. Uh, she's got a lot of opinions uh, on that as well. Uh, uh, so Maya's got, uh, well, there was a third thing she wanted to talk about, Dee, and at the moment I can't remember it. Oh, the revolt in the newsroom. We're talking a little journalistic uh, journalism issues. And then uh, our second uh, show of the day. Uh, will be an interview with Peter Cunningham, the great Peter Cunningham, who, of course, is my friend of the moderate persuasion. You know, every show's got to have one, D, right? Enough of these lefties. We need a moderate. Uh, PC, an old friend of mine. I used to work for Rom, work for Arnie Duncan. Hey, everybody's got to have a moderate friend. He's got a lot of interesting uh, ideas on policing issues and uh, uh, how to bring down the crime rate. And uh, he'll, we're going to go through the horrific news of the weekend, a lot of senseless violence in the city of Chicago. So Peter Cunningham will be our second interview, which will drop at 7 o'clock. Anyway, before we get to that, the young man from Alton, the man they call Dr. Doobie with the news. Hey, how about that Ted Cruz impression one more time? Okay. Just hold your nose and say whatever you want. Right. Sounds a lot like him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ted Cruz. <laughs> the only reason Democrats want Washington to be a separate state is they can get more Demo uh, Democratic senators. Did you ever think of that? <laughs> Teddy Cruz. <laughs> Maybe your best one. Really? Yeah. Bill Clinton and Ted Cruz. I, uh, <laughs> I just want to say about Dr. Doobie's got the best reefer. <laughs> I'm Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Bill Clinton, talking about my reefer. But I did not inhale. Oh, by the way, guys, I'm Dennis. Uh, before we talk local news, hey, we got to talk about some Ben Jarofsky show news, all right? People, we hit an important oh, yes. milestone. We hit an important milestone over the weekend, and we would like to thank 
every single one of you listening for making it happen. Guys, the Ben Jarofsky Show has reached over 500,000 downloads. Yeah! Yeah. It's true. That's not a typo, guys. I, I didn't mean to say 500. 500,000. That's a five with five zeros after it. <laughs> it's a lot of zeros. Yeah. What's next? Oh, you know it. A million. I see you. I see you, a million. We're, We're coming, coming for, for you. We're coming for you. Thank you to everyone who has Dude, helped us make this happen. If we had a dollar for every one of those downloads, you and I would be rich. Holy cow. You better believe there'd be <laughs> sleeves on this shirt. Can't afford sleeves. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, yeah, five hundred thousand downloads. That is awesome. We can't thank all of you enough. Uh, it's been an, it's been an incredible journey. Uh, just a humble little show that is now recorded in an attic, and you know we're coming a long way. And let me just say this about that. Uh, the yes, we're over five hundred thousand. I forget where we are right now. Um, and I can't thank our listeners enough for sticking with us while we're in the air. I always thought our show was, uh, part of the reason our show was so special was the intimacy of the uh, the room, our little beloved studio mm -hmm. in the Sun-Times building. And I could see my guests. We got three guests a day. I don't know any podcast in Chicago had more guests, live guests than we did. Uh, and you know, there's, like I said, there's that intimacy. I can really just figure out where my, the person I'm talking to is going, how long they want to talk. So you lose a lot of that when we come into the attic and you're doing everything over the phone and you know i was like oh my god we're gonna lose our listeners but the listenership has grown uh over the last three months and it's yeah. still growing every like yesterday was a sensational day so there's something about that brown line <laughs> yeah can't <laughs> the brown line is bringing good vibes and also thanks to the people who stuck around uh after ben was fired like uh you know <laughs> There was like a good gap, like a month or two, where we didn't have a show, and uh, yeah. we had a lot yeah. of people come from yeah, that WCPT820 over to us, and uh, we, once again, can't thank you enough. It's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, live stream chat, like I've said before, you guys are my friends. Please keep uh, live streaming and chatting. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. We're coming for you, a million. Yeah, no, we're going right at a million. I see you, a million. I see you up there. Oh, somewhere. Wait, can you hear that? Joe Rogan's shaking, <laughs> quivering right now. Well, just to give everybody a sense of proportion, I think Joe Rogan, who's the king of uh, podcasting, I believe he has- It's crazy. It's crazy. 20 million, D, I want to say. It's 20 million. Uh, you know, there's only so many lefties in Chicago, D. I call it lefty land. My beloved lefty land where all lefties live. Adalia, what's up? Lady B, I see you. All right, so let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. No public events scheduled for our Illinois governor. I'd love to win a Grammy. And no public <laughs> events scheduled for our Chicago mayor. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. <laughs> not really, but do not worry. There's still plenty. Plenty to talk about. Oh, God, what a question. Like the latest ad from Governor J.B. Pritzker. Mm -hmm. Now, last week, uh, we played that political attack ad against Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Remember when J.B. Pritzker ripped out his toilets to dodge paying property taxes? Uh, yeah. Investigators called it a scheme to defraud taxpayers. Yes, they're still bringing up that stupid toilet story. Guy's been governor for a year and a half. Still the only scandal they got. Yeah, <laughs> they're really desperate, those Republicans. Still going for that toilet game. Come on, D.B., you can do better than that. But the ad that we played last week, it came from a super PAC 
uh, known as Illinois Rising Action. And the question still remains, oh, why'd they do it? Pritzker's not up for re-election, and the group reportedly is putting $1 million behind the spot on both cable and broadcast over the last two weeks. Weird, right? Now, guys, I'm not sure if you all know this about our governor or not, but he's like rich, like really, really rich. In fact, JB, dude, you could just buy a Grammy, bro. I'd love to win a Grammy. Go buy one, rich guy. <laughs> I don't know if you can buy Grammys. Oh, whatever. I, Find someone who won it, right? Yeah, no, How much that's you for that Grammy? That's a good point. You could buy it on the like eBay. Some guy <laughs> selling his Grammy trophy. Oh, God, I'm broke. Someone who's got like a bunch of, eh, I got like 10 of them. Go ahead and take Have you seen Uncut Gems yet, by the way? No, I have not. Oh, my God. There's a whole thing about Kevin Garnett's championship ring. You know, it's a movie. Now, my good friend McDumkey saw Uncut Gems this weekend. Two thumbs way up. Oh, he liked yeah, it. He liked it a lot. Anyway, that's a, tra a tangent within a tangent. What Go do ahead. you call Adam Sandler? What do I call Adam Sandler? You call him the Sandman. Oh, the Sa Sandman should have gotten an Oscar. Should have gotten the Oscar. That was the best performance of the year. The Sandman was unbelievable in Uncut Gems. The he didn't even get nominated. The Sandman. <laughs> hey, Mr. Sandman. Da, 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 da. But guys, he's really rich, all right? Governor J.B. Pritzker. And we've also learned something about J.B. Anytime someone comes at him with a political attack ad, oh, the governor comes right back with a counterpunch of his own. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened with this one. Yes, we have a new ad to play from Governor Pritzker. Like to hear it? Here it go. Ben, uh, give us your thoughts when it's over, and I will ask you to rate it on a one to five star scale. Oh. Okay, time out. Before I do that. One just, being the worst, five being awesome. Yes. What did I give the attack ad? Remember I rated that one? I think negative three. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, just. Which is an improvement. Yeah. Yeah, you've given worse scores. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, so let's hear this ad here. Uh, this ad is titled. Well, actually, it doesn't have a title. Let's help JB out and give it one. Here's Illinois Rising Action is Full of Crap. <laughs> Remember when J.B. Pritzker ripped out his toilets oh, wait, to die? It's this one. Seen this ad? It's paid for by the same Republican group who brought you Donald Trump. But why are they attacking Governor Pritzker? Because he's calling out the president's failed leadership. Don't believe their lies. State legislators will not be getting raises. It's Governor Pritzker who worked to pass a bipartisan budget, finding common ground on issues like investing in infrastructure. And he's worked night and day to help Illinois confront the pandemic. Governor Pritzker has risen to this moment. Um, so what do you want me to, I have to give that a rating? Yeah, well, your thoughts and then weigh in with uh, right, first a one to five. Of, my star. first thought, which has nothing to do with politics. This is, I'm so envious of announcers who have that ability to speak the way that guy does. It's That's classic radio voice, you know, D? Can you yeah. do that, what that guy does? It's yeah. a crispness. J.B. Pritzker is incredible. Yeah. Something like that? Something like, J.B. Pritzker is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just can't do that. That's like I have no future in voiceover work. Oh, well, I can't. It hasn't got me anywhere yet, really. So I don't know. So anyway, that was my first thing. What a classic radio voice. You know, J.B. Pritzker. Everything is enunciated. I hear that on sports radio now. They all have the same voice. J.B. Pritzker. You know, they, uh, the Cubs. Interesting things happening with the Cubs. We will discuss that later. So anyway, that's my first thought, the guy's voice. The second thought is counterpunch time, baby. They hit you, you hit them back. You hit them back twice. Rich Miller wrote this great column by Rich Miller in Sunday's Sun-Times. And he predicted the attack ad, the counterattack ad will come because he says uh, J.B. Pritzker's a counterpuncher. 
and he does not let a punch go without another punch coming. Really into boxing, ladies and gentlemen. I know. I got to get my punch noise loaded up. Here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was expecting this to uh, this counterpunch commercial. What would I rate it? Mm, hmm, that's a tough one. One being awful, five being awesome. I'd give it a three, and I'll tell you why, okay? Uh, <clears throat> because on one hand, the negative part about it is he's drawing attention to the made-up stories that the republicans are saying so there's a chance nobody would know that the republicans have said that so it effectively it works as its own attack ad i know that's really you know deep of me and shows like i'm smoking a lot of reefer or something uh but there is that possibility so that's on the other hand uh you know there's it just conveys uh this notion that a lot of people in illinois which is essentially a blue state uh feel that anything the republicans do in this day and age is so freaking hypocritical because they are the party of Donald John Trump, the party of racists, the party of what pandemic deniers, the party of we won't wear masks. By the way, T, have you seen some of the videos that were coming up this weekend, people declaring their constitutional right? Not to wear a mask? No. I mean, this stuff is insane. Some of these, like there was people testifying in Palm Beach and Palm Beach County in Florida and just saying they're not going to wear the mask. You know, all the commissioners in Palm Beach who are, are considering whether they're going to mandate wearing a mask in a public place, like a restaurant or a bar, are, are wearing masks. So you can only see their eyes. And this one lady, don't smirk at me. I see you smirking. Well, yeah, because you're a freaking lunatic. But uh, beyond that, I have a mask on. How can you tell I'm smirking? I, I know you're smirking at me. Choose your friends wisely, guys. So anyway, so what this, this, uh, what this ad does, and I think you could do it more effectively, is linked the opposition to the utter insanity of like those people in uh, Palm Beach. And see, this is something that the Republicans do. They take the most extreme voices on the left and make it seem as though that's the mainstream of the Democratic Party. So they would take someone like me and make it all, ben, you know, uh, Ben Jarofsky has said Washington should be a state. Tammy Duckworth agrees. You know, they made like link me to Tammy Duckworth. It's that kind of thing. But the Dems, they they don't do that that well. You know, so they don't link those lunatics in Washington and in Florida uh, to um, <clears throat> you know the the Darren Baileys of the world. So anyway, so I think it, they could be a little more effective. But I give him the three because it's a counterpunch, and he got Donald Trump in there. And one thing we do know. Well over 50% of the voters in the state of Illinois despise Donald John Trump. So that's probably good enough for them to like J.B. Pritzker. In fact, uh, Lori Lightfoot got into a fight with Donald Trump uh, over the weekend, which only benefit her. Uh, I don't know how she can get any more popular on the north side of Chicago, but somehow or other, D, fighting with Donald Trump will make her more popular on the north side. So I gave it a three, D. A three. Hey, that's pretty good on the Bendrovsky scale. He's a tough critic, this guy. So three. That's a good ass. <laughs> Whoa! You know, guys, I'm the easiest grader in the world. I believe in social promotion. It's the only thing that got me out of high school. So, and it does seem like a, a tale of two states at times, all the time here lately. Really, ever since the pandemic broke out, Ben, I know you wanted to speak on this. Uh, you know, as Governor Pritzker's tenure continues here, he's getting more and more uh, haters. 
Well, that, uh, yes, it's one of the scary uh, sideshows here. And today's bright one, there's an article. Let me get it. Hold on. Here we go. Um, it's by Tina Svandelis. Um, Do you know? Time. And I don't even want to read this. See it uh, sometimes in eight months. <laughs> I hope. I hope, I hope we'll be back in our beloved little studio. I don't know, D. I do not know. Uh, I don't even want to read this headline. It's so horrific, but just for the purposes of what we're talking about. Well, quote, it says, yeah, there you go. Just say quote, quote, quote. There's a quote here. Quote, I am going to kill you. End of quote. Uh, venting or violence. Police probe death threats against Governor Pritzker over his COVID-19 orders. And then there's pictures of uh, some doofus who rode up on his boat to Pritzker's uh, home in Wisconsin and holds up a sign that says Pritzker sucks. And another doofus giving him the riding up to the, uh, the home on a boat and giving him the fingers. Uh, but that, that quote, uh, the kill you quote, is, is really jarring. And there's a lot of insanity out there. Uh, and... Another story in the paper. I think it was in the Tribune. We didn't even talk about it last. So much news going on. We missed this one. Gun sales are, uh, are going up, escalating. Guns going off the shelves. I think the headline was in the Tribune. So a lot of insanity out there. And these bold threats to Pritzker for what? For stay-at-home orders? For uh, requiring masks in public places? This notion that liberty... Uh, is somehow or other defined by your ability not to care about other people in the middle of a pandemic is a very bizarre interpretation of liberty, to put it mildly. Uh, and if you, again, if you, at some levels it's, it's comical, like if you listen to <clears throat> some of the bizarre things that the uh, people in Palm Beach were saying, and then there's this minister, reverend guy, who said he would rather be headed than uh, have to wear a mask, really weird thing to say. Uh, but then it gets the next level, and they're talking about uh, killing uh, the governor of the state of Illinois. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a troubling time. And uh, I, listen, I give J.B. Pritzker very high, high grades. Uh, I feel as though he's really tried to, in a very difficult moment in the state's history to balance our health needs uh, with the political needs, the the, uh, the uprising that occurred after George Flo uh, George Floyd's murder, I mean, just it's just every week there's another challenge that he's confronted with, and I think he's done a very admirable job. And I didn't vote for him. Okay, I always have to say that in the primary, I did vote. I did not vote for him, and he's uh, he's proved, in my opinion, to be a very able politician, uh, navigating. You know, a very contentious moment. And it's different than Lori Lightfoot. I always point this out. Lori Lightfoot can make a proclamation with very little opposition. You're not going to go to the lakefront. And people on the north side love her even more. You know, so it's a different set of challenges that Lori Lightfoot faces. And uh, I think J.B. Pritzker, you have to acknowledge that J.B. Pritzker is, it's, it's a lot more difficult uh, because there's an entrenched opposition that doesn't believe you have to wear masks. So my hat's off to J.B. Pritzker. I think he's done a good job. Yeah, sorry, Illinois. Unlike the last governor, this governor's like, I don't know, doing a thing. Yeah. Last governor did absolutely nothing. Isn't that right, Bruce Rauter? Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! <laughs> but that doesn't mean we won't make fun of JB from time to time, right, D? Oh, I mean, no, like tough the guy. love, man. <laughs> it's how we do it. Because I am not a perfect person. <laughs> 
He's Sorry, not. <laughs> I'm not a perfect person. What, he's raising taxes? What, a politician's never done that before? Never seen that? Never seen that trick? Anyway. In other Pritzker news, this Wednesday, a.k.a. tomorrow, the state's minimum wage will increase to $10 an hour, and the governor said that he will not delay the increase due to this damn dirty coronavirus. Remember, Pritzker created, or I'm sorry, Pritzker enacted a phased uh, a phased increase to the minimum wage to $15 an hour by the year 2025. The first increase was in January with a dollar jump from $8.25 an hour to $9.25 an hour. And now the part that you knew was coming. It's time to read and hear quotes from people who disagree with the governor <laughs> not delaying the minimum wage. First up, it's Mark Grant. He's the director of the National Federation of Independent Business. So based on that title, he hasn't had to rely off of minimum wage in a long time, <laughs> if ever. That's good. That's a good one, D. Well, let's hear from him, huh? Grant said, quote, We wish Governor Pritzker and the General Assembly had acted on our call to delay the minimum wage increase on July 1st. Our members appreciate the chance to grow customer activity and optimistically hire more workers. But an immediate hike in wages could put a damper on bringing folks back into the workforce. Ben, what do you think of that statement from Mark Green? Well, I think that he was probably said the same thing a year ago before there was a pandemic. So really nothing has changed. It just, you know, back then it would have been, well, we're going to lose jobs to Wisconsin. And there's always a reason why they don't want people to make more money. The main reason they don't want people to make more money is they want more for itself, for themselves. So that hasn't changed. But now they have the pandemic as an excuse. You know, I mean, the the argument could be made that this is the absolute time when people need more money. It's very desperate times. A lot of people on the edge, you know this, D, a lot of people on the edge are just losing everything, can't pay their rents. So, I mean, this what's it going to be? You want the government to... You want to raise your taxes and then give the money away through the government? I don't know. I'd make that argument. I could strongly make that argument. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I, I do not think it's healthy for society to have these inequities. So when I hear Grant say that, who, a man I've never heard of before, by the way. It's not like I know. Like Grant. Like I say Grant. Oh, yeah. Like Mark Grant. Yeah. Mark Grant. Yeah. So for, for all I know, he was a bleeding heart liberal until like a month ago. You know what I'm saying to you? I'm just saying that it sounds like the same argument I've been hearing for years when it comes to the minimum wage. God, if these guys had their way, people would be still making $2.25 an hour. Well, thanks, Mark Grant, for weighing in with those comments. And now we go to the city of Rockford. It's Rockford Republican State Senator Dave Severson. Severson believes that before we just start throwing around this 75-cent raise, we need to help our small businesses. That's right. He's no Latisa Wallace in three, <laughs> two, one. Unemployment rates double and, we're, and a minimum wage goes up uh, at a time when these businesses are struggling. Uh, that's you know, going to be very difficult to try to jumpstart. That was it. Oh, Severson, that's it. All right. Yeah, looking out for the small business. That's another thing. They're always looking out for the small businesses. You ever notice that? They never like, like, what about Walmart? They're, when you're against raising uh, in salaries at Walmart, how is that helping small businesses? Walmart crushes more small businesses than raising the minimum wage. Never see any Republicans speak up against Walmart. It's interesting. They always love small businesses when it comes to screwing working people. You ever notice that, D? 
It's for the small businesses. I'm really just concerned about the small businesses. Well, what about Walmart? Target? Ben, no, come on. Now, Ben, come, come on. on. Be, be, come on, Ben, that's not right. And how, where am I going to find cheaper apples than <laughs> Walmart? Please, stop talking. <laughs> All right, so Ben Jarofsky, yeah. let's put you in uh, the, uh, the hot seat here. Should we delay the... I know your answer. Should we delay the 75-cent raise due to go into effect tomorrow, July 1st? No. <laughs> there we go. Where's my gavel? I need a gavel. No, do not get a gavel. Oh, man, that would be a great... Like, Listeners, do not send us a gavel, please. <laughs> well, I did have a gavel at, at the studio for a while. No? I don't think you had a gavel. God, I can't remember. It's like my memory is fading. Judge Jarofsky. <laughs> coming coming I re- to a TV near you. I, I'm losing it. I'm still here, but I missed the studio. All right, now we're moving on here. Let's talk some Chicago news. Oh, yes. Uh, so in the beginning of the month, if you recall, mm-hmm. uh, we... And by we, I mean a group of grown-ass adults. We had a curfew in the city of Chicago. 9 p.m. Yes. It was during those days of protests in the city. And if you were out and about in the city after 9 p.m., you would be fined and or arrested. And that actually happened to people. Yeah. And it happened to our good friend and reoccurring guest, Troy LaRavier. Did it it not? Yes, it did. Mm -hmm. Well, the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Manny Ramos. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox plans to drop charges against those violating curfew. So, hey, we're not junior high students after all. Let's read the article. Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox is preparing to drop charges against many of those arrested for violating curfew earlier this month during the days of protest and civil unrest. This is according to a local media report. Uh, How many of these cases will be dismissed or what criteria will need to be met for these cases to be dropped is not known. But internal emails obtained by Fox 32 Chicago shed light on the plan. Did uh, old Flannery find this? (laughs) I'm not sure. Dennis. (laughs) Now you're good with that. When you say words is Flannery, though. You know, Willie Wilson. <laughs> Willie Wilson. All right, I, that's your best impression. So it's Flannery, Clinton, Ted Cruz. And don't forget Ken Davis. There's oh, some yes. Flannery. <laughs> what a great Ken Davis. <laughs> and my Mick Dumkey's not bad. <laughs> what, what's your Mick Dumkey? I can't recall. I don't recall either. Oh, yeah. Big f- <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring him back so I can. Great get- impression. I can't remember it. <laughs> I really like Bob Dylan. That's just Big Dumkey in general. <laughs> Loves Bob Dylan, ladies and gentlemen. First Assistant State's Attorney Joseph Maggots reportedly said in these emails, quote, cases are to be nulled where curfew violations or city disorderly conduct was the basis of a stop that led to a felony or misdemeanor case. If there are misdemeanor disorderlies where the conduct uh, that was disorderly was a curfew violation, those cases are to be dismissed. A spokesperson with the state's attorney's office didn't confirm the veracity of the email's content on the Chicago Sun-Times on Monday night, saying the office will, quote, continue to focus our limited resources on addressing violent crime and public safety, and that each of the curfew violations will be viewed on a case-by-case basis. Mm. All right, well, let me just say this about that. Uh, first of all, our dear friend Troy LaRivier, we should bring him back to see what uh, happened with his case. But he was not arrested for curfew violation. 
Troy was arrested for attempting to walk across the Wabash Street Bridge and approach Trump Tower. There were a lot of police officers uh, stationed uh, at that bridge. Uh, what it looked like they were stationed there was to keep people, uh, protesters I mean, it didn't away. sound like he was congregating. He was walking, he was, right? He was trying to walk, and he got arrested. So uh, there wasn't a curfew. The issue wasn't curfew with him. So I don't know if his case would be dismissed by Kim Fox. Curfew cases, uh, it seems like what they're specifying. Uh, and, you know, listen, I, I think they should just throw out most of these cases because the reality is that uh, protesters, most protesters were just protesting. Now, it's different if they caught somebody with like a Molotov cocktail in his or her hand, right? That's a little different. You want to go to court and try to prove it? You get what I'm saying, Dean? Mm-hmm. That's a little different than crossing the Wabash Street Bridge uh, to protest outside of Trump Tower and getting arrested there. I think, think that's overkill. And uh, all right, you did what you wanted to do. You intimidated the protesters. You sent a message that you don't want anybody protesting near uh, Trump Tower. That that's sacred ground for whatever reason. Can't wait to see. Uh, I said, hey, Fox 32, if you're looking for secret emails and stuff, why don't you go ask the city? Why don't you uncover the emails regarding the police strategy in surrounding Trump Tower and protecting that? Uh, so uh, you did. You did what you intended. You protected Trump Tower. So why, I don't know, what are you going to do to Troy? Are you going to give him a fine? You know what I'm saying, D? you got to put him back in jail? He already spent, what, 12 hours in jail or something like that? Mm-hmm. In a cell with about 20 other people? So I think enough has uh, been done. It remind, this really does remind me, I know this is ancient history, uh, 2003, the way uh, the city responded to protesters who took Lakeshore Drive to protest uh, the invasion of Iraq. Uh, George Bush's uh, Iraqi war, George W. Bush's Iraqi war. Mayor Daly sent a message, had those police, and they scoop scoop up all those protesters as soon as they got off the drive, sent them a message. Uh, and it did, I think, have an impact. Uh, I think it did curtail the number of people who participated in protest marches. They certainly didn't try to take Lakeshore Drive again. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I think enough's been done already. Just Can we just let it go? Okay. Let, you already... Arrested him. You threw him in jail. You roughed him up a little bit. Okay? You got your you got your message across. No need to go any further. All right. And uh, we got two more stories here we're going to knock out before we get to Maya Duke-Masova. Uh, right now, we'd like to take this time to thank Block Club Chicago for their great work. And I personally would like to thank Ben Jarofsky Show, devotee and resident badass live streamer, the one, the only, Jay Marie, for bringing this work from Block Club Chicago to my attention. The following comes from Block Club Chicago and one Colin Boyle. And hey, Colin Boyle. You remember him? Former guest on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Did you actually remember that? No, I did not. <laughs> I was pretending like I did. Way to call me out. <laughs> no, but what if that was not why I was... What if I call him Boyle? He used to play second base for the Cubs. I, right when you did that, I remembered. The, oh yeah, we had him on. He was a he's a young man, a young fella. He's a photographer. Uh, at the time, he was a student at Northwestern, and he was talking about the issue of taking pictures of protesters and putting them on the newspaper. That was uh, the issue of the day, journalistic issue of the day. Anyways, I see he's making a name for himself in the in the journalism world. Old so congratulations, Colin. Old CB, Colin CB. Boyle. <laughs> Breaker one, nerd. All right. Uh, I think we can officially call this mixed message gate. Bars across Chicago reopened this weekend, and people in Wrigleyville lined up to celebrate. 
on Saturday night, Clark Street Felton looked much like it did on a normal summer night before coronavirus appended the city, though social distancing and new guidelines are a part of the new normal. As patrons bounced from bar to bar in packs, some donned face masks, but many did not. Crowds waited in long lines with little to no adherence to the six-feet social distancing guidelines recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Some people said they do have worries about the pandemic and are concerned that they're part of the problem as cases rise throughout the country. But others said they're young and wanted to get out during the summer. Now, this is where Dennis speaks. Uh, now, this is all fine and well. <laughs> the news and <laughs> the views and opinions of Dennis are those of Dennis. Colin, not yeah. Necessary reflect the Ben Jarofsky show. Go ahead. CB's done there. Now this is Dennis. Oh, okay. Time, right? yeah, CB. Hey, I never said that. Now this is all fine and well. Northsiders, you want to go out and be an idiot? Go ahead. Be my guest. Just stay the hell away from me. But I recall a certain Chicago mayor saying this in regard to those not wearing masks or social distancing to our south and west side residents of the city. We will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you and we will take you to jail. Now I'm looking at this Block Club article. I don't see anything like that from Lori Lightfoot in this article. No, no. <laughs> that was then. This is now, huh, D? Yeah. Mixed message gate continues. Oh. Yeah, no, I, um, oh God, I have so, I, I, you know, I'm really resisting the impulse to be the old guy. You know, D, I mean, I'm already the old guy. Come on, we love it. It's like, I don't want to be the old guy. Tell someone to get off your lawn. Get off the lawn. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's, it's, it's tough. It's like, it's like my great debate with Carlos Ramirez Rosa, where I was like the quintessential old guy, where I was defending Stevie Wonder and he was defending the chain smokers. Remember that great debate? Oh, yeah. And then Carlos said to me, Ben, you're sounding like an old guy. <laughs> you sound like a smart guy. Stevie Wonder kicks I ass. I mean, yeah. Duh. You know, how can you defend the chain? How can anybody assert that the chain smokers, which is a group I got to admit, I never heard of until this argument came up are superior to the great, one of the greatest musicians of our time. And a blind dude who can play piano and keyboard like no, he, no one else. He plays drums, bass. I just was listening to Stevie One Intervisions. Anyway, the the point is, so I always, so I, you know, when, when Carlos said that, I was like, yeah, maybe I'm sounding like the quintessential old guy and I should be tolerant of like the chain smokers and oh, yeah, that's very interesting. The chain smokers, <laughs> you know, but... I don't know. Sometimes you just got to let your inner old guy freak flag fly. <laughs> and so I'm just going to let it fly, man. Maybe a foggy flag? <laughs> foggy flag. I mean, you know, <laughs> young people, I don't get it. I really, I didn't get it when you went down to Florida. Remember that? Old boy from Cincinnati whose name I can't remember. Oh, if I get Corona, man, uh, you know, it's just old people that get it. Uh, <laughs> rock. Corona, whatever, bro. And then they had the other guy. This is my favorite down in Florida. He was like, uh, yeah, why don't you really work on problems that, that are really important, like poverty? <laughs> Guy's drunk in a bar, violating every health code and good idea in the world, talking about the fight to <laughs> against poverty. Dude, why don't you fight poverty? Uh, I've seen a whole lot of catfish, <laughs> some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. So anyway, I just, you know, I know one point I was young too. Yes, indeed, D, I was young. Mm -hmm. 
So I guess I saw the black and white pictures. Trust me. <laughs> so I mean, there probably was a time when I would have had an impulse to do something really stupid, like congregate in large groups of people in a bar where there's poor ventilation and a lot of people aren't wearing masks and just talking excitedly into each other's face so you can spread the virus. You know, I maybe would have had that impulse, but uh, yeah, no, I. Um, I don't understand the behavior of people who go to the bars that way uh, and that just their lack of concern uh, for the well-being of their fellow citizens. And yes, Jay Marie, you're absolutely correct. Uh, they're just, in general, is a double standard when it comes to black people and white people in this country. It has existed my entire life. And as I just got finished saying, I'm an old guy. And so I remember when the big issue was the party on the West Side. Remember that one, D? The party on the West oh, Side. Yeah. We talked about that for a long time. Everybody was outraged by the party on the West Side. Uh, almost all black people, young people, again, uh, expressing their inner idiocy because they're young, okay? So apparently it doesn't matter what race you are when it comes to being dumb and young. Uh, but yes, Jay Marie, you're absolutely correct. Somehow or other, it's, oh, <laughs> aren't they having fun when it's on the north side? But when it's on the west side, it's, this is outrageous. It's the same disease getting spread, people. Anyway, you're right, Jay Marie. You're absolutely right. Well, our good friend on the live stream chat, Jim, uh, made a statement, and I'll pose his statement as a question to you. Ben Jarofsky, does Lori Lightfoot indeed know where her bread is buttered? <laughs> she does, Jim. Northside loves Lori Lightfoot, okay? And, and that's the weird thing. Maybe, maybe she just wasn't paying it. Let's give her the benefit of the doubt. She wasn't paying attention. That's like the Trump supporters. Like Trump uh, retweeted, we even talk about this, retweeted uh, the horrendous racist tweet from the people in the village, the supporter in that retirement home in the village where the lady was yelling white power, the man was yelling white power. He retweeted that, and then later when he came to uh, everyone's attention that he had tweeted, retweeted it, his uh, spokesperson said uh, he retweeted without listening to it, so he didn't know. So maybe uh, Lori's unaware you know, of Colin Boyle's reporting. When did that story run in Block Club, D? Uh, let me take a look. I got it pulled up right here. This ran on June 29th, yesterday. Well, yeah, and you know, I, it, the uh, the the breweries in my neighborhood. We have a couple of breweries. Used to be factories. So I live in a gentrifying area, and we used to have factories. Ah, the old days, there were factories in this block. D, <laughs> uh, working class people with lunch pails. And now it's just this guy. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, <laughs> some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Meet me at the brewery. Oh, the brewery, man. So anyway, the brewery's open, but they're doing it. Okay, now I'm going to, my inner old guy. Yeah, they're, they're, I love inner old guy. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something when I was a kid, huh? Uh, uh, uh. I was dumb too. Now, would I have been so dumb? First of all, I was never attracted to the kind of bars around Wrigley. Uh, <laughs> Shout out to, uh, I can never, uh, I, I believe it's Frank on the live, it's Frank, our good friend Frank. He, this is his name on the live stream chat. I can't read it, so I just call you Frank. Uh, he says, Wrigleyville is the Florida of Chicago. <laughs> it's so true, man. <laughs> so true. Uh, bro. Uh, yeah, so I, in a million years, would never have been attracted to one of those bars. Oh, it's an inner old guy speaking again. But even back in the day, I wouldn't have been, like, the, the equivalent, you know what I mean? It's just not my scene. So I wouldn't be, but I just, uh, anyway, oh, the breweries, they were doing it right. You know, they, they were all outdoors. 
uh, and they made sure that the tables were separated so that there was social distancing and all the um, the servers were wearing masks. It was the right way to do it, the civilized way to do it, you know, the caring about humanity way to do it. I'm young. I don't care about anything except getting drunk. <laughs> Uh, and voting for Lori Lightfoot. She's really cool, man. Oh. I love so, inner old guy Jarofsky. <laughs> I don't know, man. Just the inner old guy speak coming out. They should take away their right to vote. <laughs> They're too stupid. I'm down. I'm for it. All right. Uh, one more story here. Finally, he did it again. Thank you, Chicago, for this humbling victory. Oh, All no. I can say, He's you back. sure know how to make a guy feel at home. Yeah! Oh. Former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel went on national television to talk national politics. And, well, I have audio of it now because because we're running low on time here. And because I think the reason why we were getting those copyright strikes is because we were playing so many clips from ABC. I have one clip. Oh, come on, man. I love those cease and desist letters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're the only one alive who likes those. Oh, boy. You know, I, I had a good day today. Uh, three cease and desist letters. Good times. All right. So I have a Rahm Emanuel clip. He was on uh, that show with George Stephanopoulos. Oh, Stephanopoulos show. Was Chris Christie on with him? Yeah. They, it's, it's always the same people. Every Frickin' time frack. That Yvette Simpson's on there. And I guess I bet every time she sees Rahm, she's like, oh, good God, this douchebag again. So uh, it's uh, Chris Christie, Yvette Simpson. Uh, Rahm Emanuel and some lady. I can't remember her name. Oh, the Republican. Yeah, the Republican. That's so unfair. Stephanopoulos, you don't have a lefty in this. Oh, no, you have one. Okay. And then you have three Republicans because Rahm is basically, if you had any guts, you just join the Republican Party. Uh, So Chris Christie is a Republican. Rahm is a closet Republican. And the lady is an out and out Trump supporter. You call that fair? See, that's the mainstream media, D. Hate to say it. Well, if it means anything, one of the guests did ride his bike around Lake Michigan. I just biked around Lake Michigan. I don't know if that means anything, but... And not one person wanted health care. <laughs> oh, God. How many miles was it? Uh, Nearly 1,000 miles. Oh, that's right. Wow, 1,000 miles. Thanks, Ron, for that information. All right, so uh, George Stafflopoulos, whatever, uh, asked him, uh, basically, your thoughts on Joe Biden thus far and his chances at becoming the president of the United States. By the way, before Chris Christie said, oh, Donald Trump's going to lose. He thinks uh, Trump's uh, on the ropes here quite a bit. So that was... Oh, there's a profile in Curry. All right, go ahead. Here we go. Rahm Emanuel, let me ask you the question I asked Nancy Pelosi. What is the greatest threat to Joe Biden's campaign right now? Well, if you look at uh, the piece that I would focus on right now, both to accentuate, is Joe Biden's got seniors, the first Democrat to win in his winning uh, 65 and older voters since uh, Al Gore. Uh, And if everybody remembers, uh, even though they made fun of this interview, back in Davos, President uh, Trump acknowledged that he was going to look in a second term at Social Security and Medicare. And given the opportunity Democrats have right now with seniors, which is uh, basically a 20-year, one-time historic moment, I would start drilling down on that senior vote. I come from the great Jewish tradition of paranoia, and I think the weakest link when you look at everybody that's gravitating towards towards Joe Biden, seniors are the most vulnerable group. 
because of what they think about the president, what they think about him on economic terms, et cetera. And I would take right now, if I was Joe Biden, and go after that senior vote to solidify it. You have a window of opportunity. They're opening to listening. And I would remind them that in a second term in Davos, the president uh, himself said he's going to cut Social Security and Medicare. And his own budget two years ago was the largest cut in Medicare. I've said it on this show, and that's exactly where I would go right now if I was Joe Biden. I, oh, you liked it. <laughs> I mean, look, I almost started doing my inner Stacey Davis Gates. Look, that's uh, Stacey starts many sentences with look. You know, yeah. Duh, hit him hard on Social Security. Rom and I see eye to eye on that one. But it's so classic Rom. You know what I'm saying? Once, <laughs> Just forget about the base. Go after people. Uh, he's already, you know, all right, we got it. We've taken everybody for granted. Remember the, his debate with Yvette Simpson about how we just take for granted everybody, all black voters, you know, um, all lefties, just take them for granted and go after the other voters. So, I don't know. Listen, uh, that he, what he's saying actually makes sense. So, you know what, D, you have to be fair and say it makes sense. Yes, accentuate uh, Donald Trump. You should do that in every election with the Republicans. But then again, Joe Biden's a little weak on Social Security. As we remember from the Bernie debates, the debates with the great Bernie saying, oh, everybody forgets that. Uh, so wouldn't that be interesting if Donald Trump dredged up those uh, debates with Bernie Sanders where Bernie Sanders was attacking Joe Biden on Social Security? I will say this, that more and more, I think, oh, God, this is going to hurt. Uh, Rahm was right in that, uh, the, not in this interview, D, but the one earlier where he said this, it's just this is an election against Donald Trump more than anything else. And it's becoming apparent all the time. People despise Donald Trump. Who is it? I just, Oh, Stevie wonder, the aforementioned Stevie wonder did a uh, public, not a public service announcement. I don't know what it was. He just dropped uh, a video on Twitter. Very moving. I thought, and um, he talked about the need just to vote against Donald John Trump. So anyway, you know, just because Rom says it doesn't mean it's automatically stupid. Right. D just, just what he, just brags about riding his bike. I just biked around Lake Michigan. Who cares? I just, Stephanopoulos, come on, mix it up a little bit. You got the one lefty, one, one left. Everybody else is either an out and out Republican or a closet Republican like Rahm Emanuel. And you, you're the biggest, you're like the biggest closet Republican going. So come on, Stephanopoulos. That's the mainstream. Oh, one lefty per show wouldn't want more than that. So if you're interested to hear the rest of uh, Rob Emanuel's appearance, all three of you, go check it out. ABC This Week with George Stephanopoulos. All right. Uh, that's our local news. Uh, shout out to everyone on the live stream chat. Keep weighing in. And hey, remember that we do part twos of this program. And today it's, well, the same. It's 7 p.m. You're going to hear a part two of the Ben Jarofsky Show. And it's going to be a one-on-one -on -one interview with the man we call PC, Peter Cunningham. Will he play a song? I don't know if that'll sound too great over the phone. Maybe we can twist his arm. I don't know. But he will be talking politics, politics, and more politics. Ben, just give everybody a, a sam maybe a, a sample question of what you're going to ask. PC. PC? Yeah. Oh, we're definitely, I'm definitely going to ask him about police strategies uh, in the face of all the crime we're having in the city of Chicago. This is something that uh, Peter Cunningham thinks about a lot, writes about a lot. Uh, he's involved. He's working with Arnie Duncan on crime intervention programs uh, to try to stop violence before it occurs. Uh, but he thinks in general in terms about Chicago's past 
it's policing abuses and police brutality and uh, where police should be stationed. I'm going to definitely ask him about police in schools. That's something that's on my mind. I wrote about it for the reader. Uh, the story hasn't come out yet. So we have a lot of policing issues uh, with PC, Peter Cunningham. And then uh, before all is said and done, may have a political question throw at, uh, thrown at him as well. Go. PC's got a lot of stuff. By the way, I just want to say one thing before we break. Uh, I got a letter from a dear friend, Josh, and we ran out of time, but I'm going to deal with this. And Josh is responding to my newsletter, uh, and I, the newsletter I sent out for the reader dealt with an issue that you brought up, D. Uh, in last week, you I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden you were asking me if we had a Mount Rushmore of four great Chicago political figures, who yeah. would they be? Mm-hmm. And then one of our listeners very astutely pointed out that the, we really even sh- shouldn't even use Mount Rushmore uh, references anymore. I can't remember which listener pointed that out because the sculptor was uh, KKK. Anyway, but the point is, is I, I delved into that in the newsletter, uh, and I, I, mine were Harold Washington, Ralph Metcalf, uh, Karen Lewis, um, and I forget who my fourth one is, just blanked on the fourth one. Anyway, uh, and so my friend Josh weighed in with his, and he said, how come you didn't put Abner McVin in here? I'm going to deal with that, Josh. He's going to deal with that, I'm Josh. I'm going to deal with, run out of time, but I will address that issue uh, tomorrow. Uh, who was my fourth? It was Ralph Metcalf, Karen Lewis, oh, Leon Dupre, Alderman Leon Dupre in the fifth ward. Anyway, uh, Josh agrees with me on Leon Dupre, but he takes issue with Ralph Metcalf, and uh, he wants Abner McVin up there, so I'll deal with that tomorrow. All right. Josh, don't worry. You'll get to it, okay? Uh, That's it. That's our news uh, segment for the show here. Uh, Shout out to a gentleman by the name Uncommon Sense. That's S-C-E-N-T-Z on the live stream chat. I subscribe to his YouTube show. I guess he's uh, checking out our show as well, Uncommon Sense. He goes over colognes that you may not have heard, uncommon ones that you may not have heard of. He's a great show. Go check it out on YouTube. All of our Cologne aficionados out there. Uh, it's a fantastic show. Thank you very much, and Common Sense, for checking our show out. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Duke-Masova, will be joining us. Until then, let's hear a little Michael Girardi. That's the story from the editorial board. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, and we are live from Ben's Attic.
will shut you down. We will cite you. A little tip for the working man. Your employers are all our friends. That's the story from the editorial board. That's the story from the editorial board. We'd like to save the world when it's under attack. But how you go and pay for that? Ah! How did you? from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book. Good question, Mayor. Good question. to call our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dugmasova. Ben, this is your favorite part of the show, Absolutely. Right? Love this part of the show. You know, back in the old days, when we first came in the ad, I was terrified at this moment. Is it going to work? <laughs> yes. No, I'm cool and calm. There we go. No that's, problem. That's what we like to hear. This is where we call our guests live and cross our fingers and hope they answer. I'm... There we go. Oh, I love the sound of the phone ring. One ringy-dingy. <laughs> Two ringy dingy. <laughs> and th- uh oh. Uh oh. Did she pick up? Hold on. Maya? Is Maya there? I see Dennis. There's Maya. Hello? All right. Phone's working. Say say hello, uh, Maya, so everybody can hear that your voice is coming through. Hi. Loud. Love it when. Are we live? Yes, we are live and we are. You sound great. Yay so- for our teachers. <laughs> Yay for our teachers. Oh, yeah. Wait, play the other one for Maya. You know this is her favorite. Oh, uh, wait, do I still have it? Oh, yeah, here we go. How did you go from sharing stories over oh. the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. We miss you. <laughs> Maya, Maya, once, you Maya once walked in. I, we, I don't even think we planned this. And it was back in the old days at the studio. And she said, I saw Lori Lightfoot interview Hillary Clinton, and then it was what, like watching Hendrix on guitar. 20 minutes later, she was still jamming on that thing. I'm like, God dang. She took that. Yeah. Remember that, Maya, the good old days? Ah, yes. Truly, it was truly, truly something to behold. All right, we have uh, three topics that I really want to hear Maya's thoughts on, and I'm just going to... Uh, Start off the interview by naming them. I'm going to take them one by one. So make sure I get through all three of them. One, 
Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the police. It's a complicated subject. Uh, Maya's latest story, she's been all over this issue, doing a great job covering it for the reader, uh, really gets into some of the intricate details that we should know about. So Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the police opening up too soon. We just talked about uh, all the young people. And Maya, I, I apologize to you as a young person. The inner old man in me came out. The young people going to the bars. Anyway, so maybe you have a different perspective on young people uh, in Wrigleyville congregating in bars. Are we opening up too soon? And then newspapers, newsrooms, and revolts. I, I gave Maya an assignment, get her thoughts on the changing attitudes about reporters have uh, toward their newspapers and coverage. I think it's healthy. We'll see what Maya has to say about it. All right, let's start off, Maya. Your uh, excellent article that uh, is on the reader, you can get on the website right now, about Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the police uh, and sort of what Lori was saying when she was running for mayor and what lawyer Lori is doing now that she's mayor. Why don't you uh, take the deep dive and explain things to people? Yeah, so um, I decided to uh, look at what promises Lori made when she was campaigning about police reform, and I dug up her um, campaign public safety platform. Um, the PDF of it is still floating around if you look hard enough. And um, I identified what I would say are, were 18 distinct promises that she made in her platform about all of the, um, all of the ways she was going to uh, improve uh, the police department and change things. And some of these things were like quite vague. Um, some of these things were things that she had like made very specific commitments about. So vague things were like eliminate intentional lying by officers. So that's obviously like a huge flashy thing to say, very kind of difficult to comprehend as an action, you know, as an action point, not something that's really within the power of, of the mayor to do. Like if like cops are going to lie, like, you know, you're, there's, you can set up stricter kind of penalties for these kinds of things. But currently the way the contract is, 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 um, kind of uh, structured makes it so that it's quite easy to lie and there's really no consequences for it. So that, that was like uh, a, a pretty broad and vague commitment. On the other hand, there were very specific things like putting in place civilian open oversight on based on the model for the from the grassroots Alliance for police accountability, GAPA. So she had specifically talked about GAPA in her platform. She specifically made commitments to, to, to their vision of uh, civilian police oversight. So uh, shortly after the protests uh, the, over the killing of George Floyd, um, we saw Mayor Lightfoot get up uh, in, at a press conference and make a series of commitments to, for uh, police reform in the next 90 days. So as I found out in my research, uh, these things that she promised to do, uh, with the exception of improving officer wellness programs, these were all things that she had already promised to do when she became mayor. I mean, when she was running for mayor. These were not new ideas. She was just on top of that adding that we're going to put more resources for cops into, you know, like the city's going to devote more resources to cops, to to to, to officers' well-being, essentially. And um, what what she didn't say anything about, though, in her uh, various, uh, you know, 
the promises that she made immediately after the protest and then after Popcorn Gate. Um, she at no point has, you know, brought back up the conversation of civilian oversight of the police. And so I decided to give the GAPA people a call and see what they thought about the promises she's made. And I found that these people were very pissed because she wasn't talking about civilian oversight. And furthermore, as it turned out, they were quite close to getting the GAPA ordinance, um, uh, I guess, uh, moved through city council. Uh, but right before the pandemic started, after like a year of pretty intensive meetings about it, um, the uh, discussions broke down and uh, the GAPA people hadn't heard from the mayor since March about uh, the, the things that were sticking points that they couldn't kind of find an agreement on with her was the policymaking powers that the, that the civilian council, oversight council would have, and also um, the the uh whether the council would have like how, how the process of hiring and firing the superintendent would work and how much power the council would have and also the budget for the council so uh the council gappa's version of a civilian accountability council is based on election sort of like local school councils so election of representatives based on police districts who then come together to form the civilian oversight body so um yeah, so so basically they were very disappointed with their experience with Mayor Lightfoot so far and 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 her office's degree of commitment to um, this proposal. They were very disappointed that she made representations about meeting with them immediately. So the day after she announced her 90-day plan in the early days of June, she also went on WBEZ for an interview on reset and was asked by, it was like a call-in show, and was asked by a caller about what's up with GAPA. And she said the talks were ongoing, that they're very close, and that this is like an imminent thing. The GAPA people said that was a total lie, and that they hadn't been in talks, and uh, they were very disappointed to hear her representing in that way. Um, so yeah, so that was that was the the, the status with that, uh, and I thought it was pretty interesting that even the people, because the GAPA people really represent, I would say the GAPA coalition really represents the sort of um, progressive, uh, kind of folks in the city who generally are part of community organizations, not like kind of liberal nonprofit organizations, groups that are sort of your, I don't know, I guess your, I think about them the same way as like lakefront, you know, your lakefront liberals. You're kind of like people who are always going for some kind of like lukewarm luke more lukewarm version of uh, of something that like lefties are, are going after so those people took Lori at her word and they took her seriously about her promises and her commitments and now they were finding you know that like things were not panning out as they'd expected um and the last thing i did was i i talked to some people who from CPAC. So this is a, a, a proposal that's been around much longer than GAPA that establishes civilian oversight of the police in a much more definitive way, in a much more uncompromised way, uh, but also potentially a more legally complicated way that would require uh, some, might require some changes to state law and potentially referendums at the city level. Um, and those people had never trusted Lori to begin with. 
And they have been saying all along that she's not serious about police reform. She's a cop. Uh, and so now they're basically saying, like, we told you so. So, yeah, that was uh, that, that, that was the extent of my story. <laughs> it's a great story. I urge everyone to read it. And they, CPAC's not the only one uh, saying I told you so. Uh, I was smiling when you when I read your story uh, yesterday. I think it was yesterday when I read it. You quote, um, I think it's Desmond Yancey from uh, uh, Yappa, yeah. and 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 Desmond, great guest. He's been on my show a couple times. Uh, and the last time we were back in the studio, so that's how long ago it was. It was pre-pandemic, uh, and he was explaining the proposal that uh, Gappa had. And he he took the deep dive. I give him credit for doing that. He did a great job of explaining exactly what they wanted to do with these different councils. And as I listened to his explanation, what he was talking about it, the analogy that you made hit home to an elected school board. And I remember saying, there's no way Mayor Lori Lightfoot's going to agree to this. And that was just my initial response, my immediate response, because the same principle applies uh, for being against a local school, a locally elected school board and elected police board, if you will. It's giving control outside of the mayor. And I've yet to meet a mayor, definitely since Harold Washington died, who wanted to give up control. Most mayors want to get more control over everything because their mm -hmm. attitude is that the less dissent they have on any issue the more order we're going to have. That's the best spin on it. So I always, I felt all along that push come to shove, uh, they would not get those those uh, elected monitors, oh, excuse me, that elected board. And I didn't even think it would be the police, the rank and file that would oppose it. I just think the powers that be would oppose it as well. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? That tension between a yeah, mayor? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So do you think... Uh, public pressure will ever get Lori Lightfoot to concede on this point on, elect, on an elected police board? Well, it depends on the kind of public pressure, because I would definitely say that the GAFA coalition has amounted nothing like the kind of public pressure that the CPAC people have been able to generate. Um, you know, the thing about uh, the, the, they, the route they chose to take was the sort of respectable, reasonable, let's all meet and have a discussion and, 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 and work out a compromise and, and sort of have like a bargaining over this issue with the mayor's office. The thing about that, though, is that those kinds of that kind of approach historically and just, you know, even in, you can see it in, in kind of real time in, in, across a variety of issues is that like you are bargaining on the mayor's turf. Like this is, it's like a, it's, it's sort of similar to like a union situation. Like the, 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 the powers that be have all the power. So when you choose to engage in this kind of like reasonable, level-headed response, quote unquote, responsible, respectable manner, uh, you, you are always already starting like two steps back because you are asking them to concede something to you. The thing that the CPAC people have always kind of the way that they've tackled this and they have been for years is to just not start from the premise that they're going to walk into a room and that anybody's going to give them anything out of their own goodwill. And they've done this over the years with, you know, they were doing it with Rom, they're doing it with Lori. 
they understand that this change is not going to come through people who are in power deciding they're going to let go of some of their power. And so their tactics are about like pressure from the street. And I would say that like, okay, they've got like 60,000 people who've signed their petition. They've got, uh, I think maybe 19 aldermen on board now. And, you know, I've heard like different things about how things are going internally with their organizing efforts. Um, you know, what the, the, there's like, as with any other campaign, there's like, you know, probably internal disagreements about tactics around this. But basically, uh, there comes a certain point where like that, that the sustained pressure from the street can have, can have an impact. And, uh, I, you know, at this point, it, it, it looks like the, the gap of people's approach was maybe, well, at first it looked like the gap of people or people's approach was going to be more successful because they were getting the endorsement of the mayoral candidate. They were getting these meetings with the mayor's office. They had their ordinance introduced and, and, and kind of making its way through, through the public safety committee. But now they've ended up like no better off than the CPAC people. Mm-hmm. And they've already had to make a ton of compromises. So uh, I think that the, that, that, the, that the way that the CPAC people are handling this is a longer term game. Um, I also think that the demands that they're making eventually, like it, we may not have, you know, they, they also might have to compromise. But because their position doesn't start with a compromise, they're in a stronger, they, they could be in a stronger bargaining position than the GAPA people who had crafted their proposal to be more moderate from the get-go. Yeah. So I don't know, anybody who does any kind of labor negotiations, any negotiations in general, like you, when, you're, when you're going into uh, some kind of bargaining with an adversary that holds all the cards, you don't start out with a moderate position. You don't start out to haggle over something with like, you know, with, with what you're willing to pay. Like you're, you, you always have to ask for more than you think you'll get. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like the momentum around CPAC definitely is like in all of the years that I've been observing this movement, like I've definitely, the, the momentum around it has built a lot. I mean, it's this progressive crop of aldermen and city council have also done, I think, a lot to advance um, their vision of this civilian oversight of the police. But in general, like, what do you see in these demonstrations that are happening every day and every week in the city now for uh, basically a month? What do you see? You see, pe- you see people with CPAC signs. I haven't seen a single protest where people had GAPA signs. Um, and so, you know, the mayor can kind of talk about uh, how this is fringe and unrealistic, et cetera. But like, she's sidelining the GAPA people. And meantime, like, Tens of thousands of people are calling their aldermen about CPAC every week. And there's some parallels to the debate that went on last week uh, at the Board of Education where there was a vote four to three uh, uh, to keep the intergovernmental agreement that the Board of Ed has with the police department uh, that uh, in which the and Board that of Ed- is a That vote is, while it was a loss for the demand that people are making right now, that vote is, a cl- is like a clear example of pressure from the street actually getting something accomplished because if it hadn't been for that pressure you wouldn't have had three members of this uh you know of this body thinking twice about the situation 
that kind of thing like does not get accomplished in a closed door kind of negotiation session. That kind of thing gets accomplished when people take to the street for an issue and they make it a, a very public kind of pressure campaign and they and they shame people who don't go along with their demands. Uh, by the way, I just uh, shout out to myself. Uh, that was the subject of my column for this week's reader, which will probably be out tomorrow. It's on my mind a lot, um, so I'm glad we're talking about it. I just will, just to finish up for folks who haven't been following it, the the uh, the board of education uh, that's appointed by mayor. Uh, we don't have an elected school board; it's mayoral appointees. Uh, last August, voted to approve an intergovernmental agreement in which they agreed to pay the Chicago Police Department, and I think it was like $33 million, doing this off the top of my head, $33 million, so money from the public schools going to the Chicago Police Department to have police stationed in many of the schools in Chicago. Now, I got issues with this for many reasons, but the, the issue I talk about is why are we spending education money? If a local school council wants to have a competent school, why are the, do they have to give up dollars for the classroom for this? So I have just issues on that front. And then there's a lot of, uh, many people just don't want police in schools at all. Uh, and it came to a vote, it, it a couple of uh, board members pointed by Mayor Lori Lightfoot, as Maya's pointing out, completely unheard of school board appointees actually defying a mayor they introduced the measure to sever to terminate this intergovernmental agreement immediately it expires in august anyway uh and the vote was very it was close four to three miguel devaya the uh, chairman of the board uh went with the mayor and that effectively broke the tie and so uh the intergovernmental agreement exists until august so there's probably going to be some wheeling and dealing going on behind the scenes, Maya, uh, in the next uh, several weeks before they address the issue again. What's your sense of how people in Chicago, their stand on cops in schools, aside from the financial machinations that I wrote about, just in general, the the idea of cops in schools? What's yeah, your sense so I think going? this is a very important question. Um you know, for those who don't know, the, the, the program, the cops and schools uh, kind of uh, program, I guess, um, it, 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 we're talking about 72 CPS high schools out of 93 that have school resource officers. And the reader has done, um, we published an investigation like back in 2016, I believe, or 2017 about this. Yana Kunishov wrote, wrote about this for us. We were way ahead of the curve on this issue about how there was just like, really almost non-existent training uh, or oversight over these cops. And there were cases of these cops hurting students, um, you know, getting involved in students' lives in an inappropriate manner and, uh, and really no kind of, um, no, yeah, no clear, no transparency or oversight with, uh, with, with regards to their behavior. As far as how do people feel about this program, I think there's probably like, first of all, a lot of people like don't really know about it. Um, a lot of people, especially if they don't have cops in their schools, they don't probably don't have a clear idea of what uh, some of the problems might be. One of the uh, things that happened at the um, CPS board meeting uh, was a they showed a the, the the school the CPS official showed a poll that that the results of a poll that supposedly 
showed people's feelings about the program. And the poll included opinions from students, from um, staff and faculty, from uh, administrators, uh, LSD members, and the community. And as soon as I saw the numbers, so basically the results of the poll were that like overwhelmingly students are uh, feel good about the school resource officers and want them there. And so do staff and so do parents and so do LSD members and that's only community members feel negatively about the SRO program. So as soon as I saw these results, like this poll that they were throwing up on the screen, I, I was like very curious about like what the deal was with this poll because it presented feedback from allegedly 3,300 students and like 300 community members. And so, and, and the way that the poll methodology was presented during the meeting was kind of conflicting. On the one hand, they said that the poll was um, administered to people uh, through schools and LSTs. On the other hand, they said that it was also posted on social media and available to the general public. So I've put out a series of questions to the school district about like, what was the deal with this poll? How did they actually conduct it? What was the methodology for analyzing the data? Because something about the idea that they got 3,300 students to respond to this and only 300 community members, when there are thousands of people on the street marching around this issue, um, I, I just like, I, something doesn't seem right about this. And I'm not saying that it's, it's impossible that actually students overwhelmingly feel good about the SRO program, but uh, the, the, the vastness of the discrepancy between the community and, 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 and school parents, staff, and student views was really kind of surprising and seemed strange to me. So I'm definitely, that's like one of the next things I'm doing is taking a closer look at this polling and seeing like what, like whether this data is even valid. Um, I, uh, so, yeah, I, so to answer your question, I don't know how people feel because all we have is this poll that, I don't know, it seems to me was conducted in like a questionable manner. Well, and it is, before we move, leave this subject, and I, I look forward to your article on that one. That'll be fun to talk about when you get your results, if you get any results. Uh, it's just, let's just contrast this. You have this movement, uh, liberals uh, and uh, radicals or lefties, whatever you want to call them, joining forces, they wanted a... Uh, a board they want an elected school board and they want an elected oversight board of the police uh but no don't want that too much democracy uh, then when it comes to police they <laughs> they say that they're they're keeping the police in the schools because the local school councils which are these little bodies within each school have said they want them so it's like when when democracy works to their advantage they cite democracy uh, and uh, when it doesn't work to their advantage, they say we have too much democracy. I, I stand by what I yep. initially said. Uh, this is about mayoral power. I think it's the case with this school funding. The mayor does not want the Board of Education telling her who has to pay uh, for police and schools. If we're going to keep police in schools, she wants to determine that, not the board. So there's a lot of power politics going on here, Maya, and this will be going on for a while. We'll be talking about it. Let's shift gears to uh, whether we're opening things up too soon. Dennis and I have already talked about this, the stories that uh, appeared over the weekend uh, in Block Club where, um, oh, I, don't, I really want to 
don't be the inner old man in me, but uh, young people congregating at bars uh, in Wrigleyville, uh, not wearing masks, and just spewing all the germs in their faces. Go ahead. It's not just young people in Wrigleyville. It's also middle-aged people in Andersonville eating sushi. I got some takeout from a sushi spot in Andersonville over the weekend. It was wild to see that this restaurant was totally packed, totally packed with middle-aged people. Uh, I mean, there were some younger people too, some older people, but like this, this, you know, it wasn't just young people at bars. It was also like <laughs> people of all ages who are trying to eat sushi indoors. Uh, the, 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 I think wherever places are opening there, you're going to see this kind of, you know, flocking to these businesses. I can't for the life of me understand why anybody would want to spend money on dining and drinking indoors so badly. Like, okay, I understand, like, you don't want to cook. You want to, like, get food that just somebody else has prepared that's better than whatever you can make. Okay, like, this country is, like, a beautiful fountain of takeout options. You know what I mean? Like, anything you want, pretty much. Like, like Michelin star restaurants are offering takeout now. Uh, what, like, why? I, I just can't even wrap my mind around why anybody would go inside and sit for an hour and a half or two hours inside a restaurant right now or inside a bar. It's, it's truly crazy to me. And I, the only way I could explain it is that, like, there's a combination of, like, poor understanding of how this whole thing works, how the virus works caution fatigue like you know it's it's this is like the actual term for it it's like when it, you, our bodies cannot produce um cortisol which is like the hormone that keeps us alert and like kind of like aware of our surroundings and and practicing behave like safety behaviors like we just can't stay in a state of like a high alert and caution indefinitely so you know you your mind and your brain adjust to new conditions you no longer feel like um stressed about the changes and you just sort of let your guard down and you stop thinking about danger in the same way. Um, it's like a combination of that. And I don't know, delusion. Like I just want to hear from someone who has dined indoors who like, what will they say? Like if you ask them like, okay, you have no idea if somebody at this restaurant just came back from Texas or Florida or from a nursing home visiting someone. I mean, I guess maybe a lot of nursing homes are not a lot of allowing visits, but somebody could be a first responder. Like somebody, like you just do, like, how do you think about the act of going to sit in a place indoors with people you don't know? I mean, I understand people like becoming more relaxed around like forming quarantine pods. I mean, full disclosure, I'm in a quarantine pod with like, a few other people who have been diligently isolating. We know who we don't see any other people. We're only interact with each other. And so like, when you know who what people's lives is like, yeah, like it's, it, you know, there's a certain, you can kind of like lift your guard, but I, I can't for the life of me understand the desire to go sit with stranger in a, a closed space with strangers. Yeah. I, um, I'm with you 100%. That was a great riff. I <laughs> had me laughing. Uh, I, I don't get it either. And when I listen to the quotes of people from the bars, and this goes back, we were, we, we were actually uh, having fun with this when Wisconsin 
got the green light from its Supreme Court to open up its bars, and people poured across the state line from Illinois. And you're right, in defense of young people, it was a lot of middle-aged and older people doing it there. So I'm now in defending young people from my unfair assault on all of them. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Dennis is laughing. Uh, but I, just the quotes that you do get are along the lines of, I want to be in this bar so bad that I don't care if I'm risking my own well-being. And I don't believe that I'll get it anyway. And I just don't think it's as, that much worse than the flu. And I think a lot of this is hyped. There's just this, a general stream of thought in this country uh, to this point. You know, yeah. And combined and combined with the, I, it makes me think too of like how this people really, I think a lot of people really lack experience and imagination in like doing things besides like, okay, if I want to socialize, like I go to the bar to drink, you know, like this is something actually, this is like a conversation I have um, a lot with uh, essentially for, foreigners in my social circle, like people who didn't grow up in this country. Um, one of the things that's very kind of one of the biggest culture shocks people experience when they come here is, is the way that like socializing outside the home is entirely wrapped around spending money, usually on food and beverages at like bars and restaurants. Like there's very few things that people regularly do. Like I'm talking about like on a daily or weekly basis that aren't like going out to eat and drink. Um, you know, people in other countries experience like social, like kind of social life much more like outdoors much more uh i mean in a lot of countries you you if there's it's like you can drink outdoors you can drink alcohol outdoors it's not it's not like a problem you know this isn't like a banned behavior so i think that i haven't heard much conversation about this but like i wonder uh if maybe we should consider like allowing people to have open containers outside you know like when the park's open or whatever like if people if people can i just wonder if like if people can just like drink outside will they just do that instead of going to a fucking bar where they're going to infect themselves and everybody around them um yeah that's what i've been you know, doing drinking outside yeah. yeah and like look like in, in lots of places in the city like in, in sort of like i don't know there i think there's lots of parks where and, and and lakefront areas where like enforcement of not drinking is like pretty lax and people do this anyway um like in rogers park i don't think there's a single park you, where you couldn't go and post up with your friends and drink but like uh in general like i just i i look at these <laughs> i look at these stories and these pictures of these people at these bars in old town or wrigleyville or wherever wherever else and i'm just like do you just, like, I just wonder, like, people just don't have any other ideas. They're, they're like going crazy at home. Maybe they don't have a car to go out and do something, which is like, fine. We live in cities. People, lots of people don't have cars to go somewhere else. But like, I just, it just, it's like a big failure of imagination and like a very limited idea about what socializing can be. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I have a tre tremendous uh, sympathy for Governor Pritzker in this moment. 
trying to enact policies that people will follow and, uh, you know, dealing with fake rebellions. I call them fake rebellions, like where people proclaim this, like, overriding liberty that protects their right to go to a bar and cough on somebody, you know? So uh, it is, as you're pointing out, the reactions that people are having to this pandemic uh, reveal our attitudes about ourselves. And I would say this, I thought you were gonna go this way with Americans, but I'm gonna say Americans are spoiled. They're used to doing it their way. And if they can't do it their way, then they get mad and they want someone to pay a price for that. And no, I think it's not just that. It's just this life in this country is really set up around the premise of like drinking and dining out. Like we have a very intense culture around that. Americans see it as their God given right to like drink and dine out. (laughs) And I don't necessarily think it's just because it's like in lots of neighborhoods, first of all, in this city, you really can't eat other than by eating out. But this is not what we're talking about now. We're talking about like this sort of like wanton disregard in privileged areas of the city uh, by people who have other choices. And I, yeah, like I just, you know, the per- so the people who are saying like, I just don't care. I have to be in this bar. Like what, wh- what is that? Do you need to be drunk? Why can't you get drunk in some other way? Like what, why is it that you have to be inside the bar? What do you get out of that? I, I don't know. I, but by the way, the image will be with me for a long time of what you described the sushi restaurant in Andersonville packed with people. <laughs> yeah. You could get a takeout. You know what I mean? You know? Anyway, you know, I was going to ask. I mean, you, I love sushi, and, but like you can pay me to sit in a restaurant and eat it right now. <laughs> yeah. Ju- just so everybody knows, the issue is not that we don't like sushi. All right. It is a different issue. <laughs> exactly. All right. I was going to ask you about the revolt in the newsroom, but we run out of time. And that'll be give us something to talk about uh, the next time you come on the show, because that's a fascinating topic. That's not going anywhere. Maya, great job on your uh, police coverage. It's been outstanding. Uh, and by the way, I just point out, it's it's funny when I was listening to you talk about GAPA versus CPAC, our last uh, hideout show was before the pandemic was supposed to, to be. We had representatives yeah, from each GAPA group and, and it was going to be a great show. Uh, and then, of course, the pandemic hit, but we had representatives from each show ready to go. So and Maya, have we talked to you since we'll uh, have, it. have we talked to you since this clip? I don't want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100 percent full of shit is what I think. If you think we want to fuck you then, whoa! Hey, you're gonna tell me whoa. shit. Ray Low and <laughs> we've had a lot of fun with that one. I just want to thank Mayor Lori Lightfoot and uh, Alderman Lopez for giving us a little <laughs> diversion from the madness. Why is he like that? I just want to know. I feel like I tweeted that after the last city council meeting and a lot of people apparently like that sentiment. I just want to know what is wrong with this guy? Why is he like that? Uh, wait, w- did you hear the whole, the, um, yeah, broke it down. I, mean, yeah. Just, I don't know. Uh, I don't have anything to say about him. I don't, I don't, I don't, it's ridiculous. Uh, coming to uh, a hideout show really soon, Alderman Raymond Lopez with Maya talking about policing. All right, Maya, uh, take care. My only question to him is going to be like, why are you like this? (laughs) He was really needling Lori, and he finally got to her, and she let him have it. Then he came. Anyway, Maya, stay safe, stay sound. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Yep, bye. Bye, guys. All right, D, before we head out the door, you got any updates for us? Uh, Number one, here's an update. I can't stand sushi. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. I've had it like twice. Do not care for it. By the way, this breaking story, a judge temporarily blocked publication of a tell-all by President Trump's niece pending a hearing on whether it broke a confidentiality agreement. This sounds like the kind of story uh, that Jim Coogan and I can pull apart, Attorney Jim Coogan. Uh, Mary 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 Trump's tell-all tale. Jim, get ready. We're going to bring you back. We're going to discuss... confidentiality agreements what a joke uh we do have uh two updates and uh a one thing we would just like to mention one more time thank you once again to everybody who has downloaded our program because the ben Drosky show has over five hundred thousand downloads yeah, we're very awesome. proud of that and here comes one million i see you i see you up there one million right and uh, based on how uh the numbers have been in this attic we'll get to <laughs> a million like a month man you know what we're gonna do when we hit a million what we're gonna go out and have some sushi uh, that's what yeah we're- <laughs> no sir you get some food i'll get some food we'll zoom and we'll talk about it <laughs> zoom <laughs> so one thing we're not gonna do is one thing d and i agree on is zoom sucks and uh live stream listener steven just know ben has been trying to read oh, yeah. your your uh your email that you sent to us yeah he really he enjoys the letter we just kind of get sidetracked and everything we're gonna get to it all yeah. right we're and, gonna and, read that letter and then some reason i was all set to read it today i couldn't find it that's how it goes is, yeah it's live. It goes. sometimes it's live that's but, what uh, we do when we're yeah, live was, you know it's an awesome letter so steven don't worry you're gonna get uh your letter read hang tight with us please keep listening all right and uh finally here we have a story we need to talk about oh break out the bong the following comes from Tommy Two Joints Shuba at the Chicago Sun Times. He's smoking in the boys' room. Watch out. All right. No, uh, the he-, he doesn't smoke pot in the bathroom. All right. Uh, the headline reads More pot licenses delayed indefinitely due to COVID 19. Uh, blaming the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, Governor JB Pritzker Monday issued an executive order delaying licenses to grow, transport, and infuse cannabis products. The Illinois Department of Agriculture, which regulates cannabis cultivation facilities, will ultimately announce when the licenses will be issued, according to Pritzker's order. The licenses, which were expected to be awarded Wednesday, July 1st, include 40 for both craft growers and infusers and an undetermined number of uh, licenses for transporters. The public health crisis prompted Pritzker, there's the brown line, to twice push the deadline for submitting applications for the licenses from the original due date of March 16th to April 30th. Pritzker signed a similar order in late April that indefinitely delayed the insurance of 75, count them, 75 new pot shop licenses. Officials have since signaled that the licenses will be awarded intermittently in the coming months. Yeah, I'm not surprised about this. Many of our guests on Cannabis Conversation uh, have predicted that this was going to happen uh, because of COVID. By the way, tomorrow's guest, we're going to have a guest uh, from the Marijuana Hall of Fame. Oh, cool. Vincent Norman's coming back. And my, we'll, oh, I thought you were going to say my brother. <laughs> he should definitely be in the Marijuana Hall of Fame. I feel I should be in the Marijuana Hall of Fame. All right. <laughs> You'd be, uh, what, what do they call that? Uh, like the uh, All-Time Achievement Award. What yeah. are they, <laughs> a Lifetime name for Achievement that? Award. Yeah, you're the Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> lifetime <I'm>, Achieva. Because <laughs> uh, you haven't smoked pot since 1979? No, but I'm more of an ally. You know what I'm saying? I'm an ally, okay? <laughs> I don't smoke it, but I've been, I've been pushing for its legalization since the 90s, okay? Since Clinton said I didn't inhale. Oh, what, what would that sound like, him saying that? Uh, I did not inhale. 
That's your, what did I say, your second best impression? That's damn good. And do Ted Cruz one more time before we roll out of here. The only reason <laughs> that the Democrats want to have D.C. sustained is they get two more senators. Duh. I thought, Duh, Teddy. I thought Ted Cruz was sitting right next to me. That was so good. I love Dr. Doobie. <laughs> and, hey, find us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on both Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram as well. And, oh, my goodness, we have so many announcements on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Uh, ben Jarofsky Show podcast devotees remember leah she's back yes leah i talked to leah late yesterday yay for our teachers yay for our teachers yay for leah she's back she's helping us out on uh social media so if you see something on twitter it's probably because of leah leah we're glad to have you back leah's a superstar and she shared with me some of the material she's doing one day leah will be on wbez or npr she's a real class get in line leah i'm trying to get there All right, that's our show. I didn't mean to say you are in a class act. Uh, but anyway, Leah's a superstar. All right, I want to thank uh, Maya for doing an outstanding job. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, without whom this show would be possible. Yes, indeed. Back home in Alton. What am I going to say they call him? They call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And hey, don't forget, part two of today's show with PC Peter Cunningham will be available tonight by 7 o'clock at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. That's right, live streamers. Go to those sites, download it, tell your friends, subscribe, give us a review. Uh, Remember, five stars only. See you tomorrow. biked around Lake Michigan, nearly a thousand miles. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! Rahm Emanuel. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, No gators yet, though.